Brian likes to dance too. <laughs> it's good. Gotta get flowing. I'd say I didn't work out today, but I feel like the whole day was a workout, so I can't even say that. I swapped my butt off today. Oh. Nothing like swamp ass. Actually, I didn't get swamp ass. Thanks for asking. <laughs> That's a common issue, but not today. That's why they have ball powder. Oh, yeah. That's good, <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, that's good to know. Thanks, Aiden. Yeah. All right, we have another return guest. I guess we're getting to that point of the podcast <laughs> now where we're going to have return guests yeah. when we find good guys and knowledgeable people. And we have the New York Hemp Industries Association chapter president with us again today, the second time in less than two months. We're going to talk some USDA. We're going to talk CBG. We're going to talk CBD. He was at a conference today in Rochester, so we're going to talk about that. We got so much to talk about. Bob took a trip, so we're going to talk about, I think this travel man's been traveling for like the last month, so we don't want to dismiss you, Bob. We got to talk about Shenandoah a little bit. Yeah. Um, so let's get right to it here. So Aiden was in town to Rochester today. It is uh, the beginning of November, mid-November. Uh, this is about, uh, I don't know, about three weeks ago from this posting that, that uh, we're taping. But uh, Aiden was in town. He's normally from the Albany area. And his last name is Washness. Just so I say it correctly for everybody, Aiden Wash. Wash this. Watch this. Washness. Washness. Don't listen to Bob. Watch this. No, not watch this. Wash this. Because <laughs> you dirty. I, I sweat today. <laughs> the reason why I sweat today is we woke up to our first snowstorm of the season this morning, which to me was exhilarating. Mm-hmm. And even better still, I got a Subaru Outback that I really love that got me out of my driveway like it was I was on pillows. Like it, there was no snow on that driveway. That Subaru tore through that like it was nothing. Like it was the best. Yes, yeah. you can find them in your local dealership. <laughs> Man, I had my Hyundai Elantra. If I had that car this morning in my house, there's no way I was getting out. Like it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, no, Subarus are definitely uh, quite quite the uh, quite the capability that they have. Amen. I don't yeah. ever want to be out without one again. I got to figure there's something out not to ever lose Subarus. I love them. <laughs> so we had a good snowstorm. So ski season on the way. Make sure everybody remember Brian Lane YouTube videos. Check it out. Just posted a video from Big Sky Montana uh, recently. I'll have a, another one coming out. Uh, so make sure you guys check that out, as well as all my East Coast skiing trail maps come to life. So Aiden, thanks for joining us. How did the conference go today? It was really good. So I went to the Grow New York conference, uh, and uh, I think this was their first year in operation, and there was a lot of panelists. Uh, they have a, a decent size floor, maybe like three rows or something like that of, of uh, um, vendors. Uh, there was actually a panel this morning specifically on the hemp industry and they had a guy in from Canopy. Uh, they had, uh, um, Trey Riddle from Sunstrand, uh, a few other people, um, on the panel and they kind of just taught and Chris Logue and then, uh, Larry Smart was the moderator. Uh, and they talked about just kind of where the industry's at, what the different challenges are that are going to be facing, uh, what challenges are we are facing currently, um, they kind of touched on the USDA bill a little bit, but not really too much. Uh, it's it's still kind of fresh, and so they didn't really have the time to exp- go through all the details and explain mm-hmm. it. Uh, but it's yeah, no, it was, it was a good a good session. Uh, lots of people, lots of really interesting things. Um, definitely a lot of food stuff, really good, tasty food. Uh, so that was good. Food's always good. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, no. There's that was of, Jen there from Morrisville, or any? Uh, no, from, so there was uh, there was yeah, Cornell people were there. So Larry Smart from Cornell. Uh, there was a few other people from Cornell that I spoke with. Um, there was a woman that's going to be running a hackathon at Cornell in February, I believe. 
Uh, so that was pretty interesting. There was a whole bunch of stuff. There was a guy from Wegmans that uh, that's in like data science, and so we like talked all about the different uh, different uh, things that somebody knows about like your grocery shopping history or whatever. Um, and he was saying how like we think that. Uh, our grocery shopping is maybe sporadic and may change all the time, but in reality, it's pretty like standard. Like if you, if you are a person, they, they know what you buy and can pretty much predict what you're going to buy at certain times of the year, depending on what the weather is. Also like they've been doing weather prediction all sorts. That's crazy. So it was a really interesting conference. Wow. That's some serious analytics. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And then there was just like food products and there was like drone technology there. And then they had, uh, like a competition and stuff for different businesses that want to win grants or like prize money. Um, and there was different things in that. There was like a manure company that was, it was actually kind of cool cause he was taking waste material, uh, like, uh, the manure, uh, and, 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 or yeah, manure and, uh, or it was, it was like waste material from like manure from like cows and all sorts of things. And not only was he getting, uh, it spreading as manure at the end, he was also collecting the energy from it. Uh, he was collecting, um, like nutrients from it and then it was becoming manure for the end and like a whole bunch of slow, like ways for the farmer could maximize their, their profits in, in, the, in the game, uh, with all their waste materials. It was just, the whole conference was pretty fascinating. Actually, tomorrow is the second day, uh, and yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's interesting. It's a little, I mean, it's, it's starting, it's small, right? It's not a huge conference. You don't have thousands of people there, but it's definitely, everybody there was pretty smart. So. Well, Grow New York, it sounds like it's not just hemp, right? It was Yeah, no, no, it's, it's definitely, definitely not just hemp. So it's uh, all agricultural and food products. Uh, so there's lots of farmers, lots of farm technologies, um, lots of food production technologies, uh, food production companies, like there was a great uh, jams company. Uh, there was a Apple uh, spirits company. There was um, uh, Seneca f uh, Foods. I actually have their uh, their um, dried apples and, and like stuff. And so there was just like lots of really cool products out there and just interesting people to talk to. Um, it's just always interesting going to these conferences and kind of seeing where people's mindsets are at and what what the vibe is for the industry. But out of all this, the uh, the panels that they had today, other than the competition at the end, which like everybody went to, uh, the hemp was definitely the most full. I mean, it was the beginning panel, um, but it, I definitely think it was uh, it was very worthwhile. And then after that, they had like uh, talking about what do consumers want in food products, right? Like, uh, and one of the biggest things that was the takeaway was even if somebody wants to go healthy, it always comes down to, they don't want to sacrifice the taste. Like people always want food to taste good. They don't want to give, give up a like tasty meal in order to eat healthy. Um, and so that's like a, a big thing that's, that's out there and just all, all sorts of different like kind of things that. That's an interesting yeah. point. Because uh, what draws, because everybody ha has different yeah. tastes, right? So what draws certain people to have those certain taste buds? I've always mm -hmm. been very curious mm -hmm. of how I could have such a different palate from someone sitting next to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it's all... Well, that uh, is actually primarily because when you're born, you have a large amount of taste buds in your mouth. Um, and actually, as you grow older, uh, you lose taste buds based on uh, what you are eating. So it, uh, it's actually... So my mom boiled all food. Oh boy. Yeah. Every time I say that, everybody has that same reaction. It's so funny. But as a kid, I never knew how really crazy that was. So she probably boiled the piss out of my taste buds. <laughs> no, that would just make it bland. Yeah. yeah. No, bland. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that helps because I had less flavor. So maybe that's yeah. why I, I do yeah, have, can, have a palate like I have now because it probably made it so when I did start dating Jen and, and mm -hmm. marrying Jen, my ex-wife, she was a great cook. I loved everything. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh my God, 
what is this flavor? I want to try this. I want to try that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Whole, whole new experience in, in your life. And you yeah, no more ragu, it for ragu, time. yeah. No more ragu spaghetti sauce. Yeah. It's homemade, not yeah. spaghetti sauce. Right. Absolutely. Like there's a big Absolutely. difference between that. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And ragu wasn't as good as prego. And my mom went ragu. I don't know why. But. <laughs> So it it was worth coming in for day one. Yeah, had you been to Rochester before? Uh, I I think I've been here once or twice before, but not not really as of uh, as of late, like the past few years. But yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy that I came out here because I mean now I can actually be in person and see what your setup is and and uh, and see you guys here. Um, There's definitely an aspect of uh, recording in person versus recording over the phone. There's Definitely a, a very different uh, vibe that comes from that. Oh, that's good. So. Yeah, like hopefully better, a better yeah. vibe. Yeah, it's tough 100%. when you're when you're uh, exactly. hundreds of miles away. Well, you can't you can't, you can't understand when somebody else is going to talk. Like you can't understand different body language that's going on. There's just so much we communicate. I mean, I uh, I did this um, this uh, so Al Gore has this thing called the Climate Reality Summit, uh, and I went to it in uh, 2016 in Texas. And essentially, what it is is. Uh, like a summit where you learn about, I mean, ideally you've already learned about climate change at this point in time. And it takes a lot to get into, into these one of these summits, but uh, you learn about it a bit more in terms of detail, but then you also learn about how to talk to people and how to talk to people that are against it or don't know about it. Um, And like one of those things, for example, is get down to like, don't worry about the climate change itself, get down to family matters because like in many cases, somebody that doesn't believe in climate change, uh, it may be that their kid is in the oil industry and went to school for the oil industry and they want their kid to be successful. And it's not even about the actual science or anything. They don't care about that, but they care about their family, right? And so if you get down to the core of what it's really about, that's what matters. But anyway, another thing that we learned there was that uh, you communicate most, about 70% of your language through your body language. Uh, and 10% of it's with what you actually say and 20% of it is with your tonal and your uh, voice inflection and everything. And so... Um, yeah, so there's a lot that comes from body language that you just can't get over the phone. And I mean, even like a FaceTime or something, you can't, you still can't quite get it. There's, there's definitely a, a lot that comes from sitting in the same room. It's such a valid point. I know if I'm out, out, I'm on a social setting or something. And if I, I can feel the vibes from someone else pretty yeah, easy. Where, absolutely. And I, th- and I think I, I'm a little bit where I take on other people's emotions mm-hmm, a little bit mm-hmm, too. I'm definitely mm-hmm. that way, whether old soul or whatever. So if someone's in a bad way, I yeah. like absorb that. Absolutely. It, it troubles me. Like I can't, <laughs> I have to go help her or, or figure out if yeah. there's something that can be done to, yeah. to ease that energy yeah. in the room. Right. Absolutely. Um, that's so true. I love it. Yeah. So Bob, let's break off from hemp talk just a little bit. Shenandoah. So you were in Shenandoah in the fall. Yeah. Let's talk about how it was a little bit. All right. So I, I normally go on these these fall excursions, and it's usually the ADK. Uh, that's one of my favorite places to, um, we've been called leafers. Uh, hmm. i not really a particular leafer, but I do enjoy a good, colorful array of trees. Um, this trip, I wanted to take my partner down to Shenandoah because he has not been to as many of the national parks as I have, so I have to backlog all the places i've been to the colors were spot on just spot on uh at peak we had some interesting weather we had some not some in- interesting weather uh we went on a four how four hour hike um saw a little baby bear scurrying up a tree up and down um got some good shots good photos uh the the night that we were leaving we had a windstorm. Um, it felt like a hurricane. David got a little uh, exaggerating. 
Uh, the, I looked it up. The winds peaked to about 38 miles per hour. We were pretty protected. We were in a, a little dip of a hill where our tent was set up. And when we woke up, the entire place was encased in fog. The wind's blown over the place. Everybody else's tent is just scattered like a, a hurricane had hit. But uh, you know, we packed up wet and we went left. But uh, the hikes and the and the and the adventure was pretty incredible. You said you went to a cavern while you're there. Yeah, uh, Laurel Caverns, I think it's called. It's one of the largest ones down in the Virginia area. Very intense. Is that the first time you've been in a cavern? No, I've been to several. I actually went a few times with Aaron Cohen. Um, my former brother-in-law. Um, I went on my own a few times. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I wanted to give him the full experience of what's down there. Uh, how, how did he enjoy it, your partner? Oh, he loves it. I, I've I've got him hooked. He he's loving the camping life, the 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 hiking, and you know I I, I have to tell him that you know when I'm taking photos, I I kind of feel guilty because I'm setting up my tripod and then I'm being very meticulous, and he's just lingering there, and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. I, this is this is horrible for you. I know, and he's like, no, no, no. I can I can relax. It's it's all cool. It's all cool. And and I get lost in the moment when I'm taking my photos, so I kind of forget about the people that I'm with. And, um, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh, oh, we're hiking. That's right. All right. All right. And we'll, we'll get on with it. <laughs> you know, so that's our favorite thing to do, though. I mean, uh, it was always great when Bob and I went together because we would both be setting up tripods. We all, and we wouldn't be going for the same shots. We right, all be, right. Yeah. You know, we're always looking for different shots because we always kind of pull our picture together. Yeah. So for you and I, we always had that, that good niche when we were together traveling. But it's tough when we're not with photographers. Yeah. It's, it's great when you're with another photographer, like you said. I, I fed off of you. You fed up. I'm like, it's like, oh, oh, that's a good shot. I'm like, I'm going to take that shot and make that my own and, and make it better than yours. But, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, a little smack talk going there. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad to, I'm glad you have a, a partner that's a tolerant of that for you because oh, it's yeah. such an important part of your trips is documentation and getting those images. Yeah. And, and when we go on these little excursions, it's go, 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 you know. I I like the vacations where we're just sitting around hanging out, but that hasn't become our vacations. We are when we went to the Southwest, every day was multitudes of hiking and and photographs and and to the next spot, to the next spot, to the next spot. So that's way that's way I gotta go. Cool. Uh, so what trips did you take this year? Now I was just so we were talking. You've taken some trips. You went Southwest. You went uh, so, Zion Canyon, Bryce Canyon, Grand Canyon. That was our, that was the September trip. Yep. Uh, we flew into Las Vegas, uh, drove up to, we rented a car. We drove up to Zion National Park, camped there two days, hiked the Narrows. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's into the Virgin River, up into the slot area of the canyon. So as you go through Zion, you kind of go through a main entrance, and then there's kind of a way you can peel off. Uh, to the right, and then mm. if you go straight, you kind of run into the narrows down the valley. No, you can't right? do it anymore. The The shuttle takes you to all the key spots now. Oh, really? You can't drive back you there? You cannot anymore? drive into the back of the park. It's good. No, it works. Sure, yeah. It probably thins it out back there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's definitely more control, and, you know, there's still a lot of people who visit the park. From Zion, we went to uh, Bryce, Na Bryce National Park, um, which is kind of the opposite of Zion, where you're 
in Zion, it's more of a valley, and Bryce, it's still a valley, but it's more exposed. It has what is called hoodoos, and they are these rock formations that protrude up from the ground, and they're sandstone. Um, Excuse me. From uh, Bryce, we went to Capitol Reef. Um, from Capitol Reef, we went to Arches National Park. Arches National Park, we went to... Uh, the north rim of the Grand Canyon, then the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and then back to Las Vegas. Whew. I know, right? And that was in a short two weeks. That is some trip. Yeah. Wow. Bob travels. So explain to people who've never been to Shenandoah real quick, just to recap what, like, Shenandoah, people don't know, it's a ridgeline basically, right? It is a ridgeline, yep. And you cannot really exceed 45 miles per hour on these roads because... They're up and down, they're twisting and turning, and it, there's some parts that are even narrow, and it, you have to share the road a lot with a bicyclist. You see a lot of bicyclists on these roads. Oh, that's I, new, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they're biking up these mountains, but, you know, more power to them. <laughs> uh, Blue Ridge Parkway is what he's talking about, folks. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an extension of the Blu-ray or, or the, the, not Blu-ray, Blue Ridge, mm-hmm. it's, it's called the Skyline Drive. Oh, yeah, Skyline Drive through the yeah. park, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and that area is beautiful because you look on either side, east yes. or west, you're getting a right. view to the valley to the next ridge lines. It's yeah. really it's phenomenal. Now, have you ever been on there, Aiden, or any of the national parks? I have been to Grand Canyon. Actually, uh, my my one year of school or one year of college, I should say, I've been to other schools. Um, I went to a school in Prescott College, or it's called Prescott College in Prescott, Arizona. And for the first trimester, uh, I had this like leadership course. And the school is very into adventure education. Uh, So they have like a lot of students go there for like whitewater rafting skills or rock climbing skills or whatever. But anyway, uh, one of our trips was actually whitewater rafting down the Grand Canyon. And we actually went overnight and like drifted overnight. And that was just phenomenal. I've been there other times on like on the ridge and such. And it's, it's, it's great place. South Rim or North Rim? Uh, South Rim. Uh, you you so. got to experience the North Rim. Okay, I'll, I'll have to check it out next it's, time. It's more subdued. It's it's yeah. it's less traveled. Yeah. Um, less campy and. Well, there's campgrounds there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not as uh, less commercial. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah definitely yeah. less yeah. commercial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hate yeah, all the tourists. Yeah, I mentally <laughs> blocked out this little village in um, the South Rim. I forgot that it was there, and mm-hmm. when I saw it again, I'm like, "There's resorts and there's hotels and there's." shops and i'm like when did when did this happen but it, i guess it's been there for a while i've just yeah, blocked it out yeah it's segmented. There's, <laughs> yeah. yeah you can get away from that at the north at the south Rim oh definitely, but definitely. But it, you, there's a component there for other right. tourists that's right yeah it's yeah. good stuff so thanks for sharing i appreciate oh, that sure. bob i love to talk about the national parks yeah. um so we mentioned just uh earlier the usda yes so let's let's talk about what 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 happened in in uh what was october they october 31st well uh, they released the draft i think the 29th but then it actually was published on the 31st yep and that's when it went effective and this is a big deal for the hemp industry um bob pulled it up as well so we can reference as well but i know aiden has has read this and i've read a good portion of it um so aiden what's your take on what the usda is uh my feeling so far is i kind of like the route they're taking number one um we we're still waiting on the fda obviously uh but number one i like the route they're taking number two it looks like they are really taking an educated look at this um do you agree yeah no i definitely i'm i'm a very happy to see what was released. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't really too worried about it. Uh, just 
but so many people, there was a lot of worry in the industry as we were, as we're waiting on this. I mean, because it, it, you have people that are already establishing businesses. They're already putting dollars into this. They're putting their blood, sweat and tears into this and they want to make a return. And if all of a sudden the regulation comes out, that just doesn't allow them to process like they're processing anymore, then they can be screwed. I mean, uh, like, while we've had the uh, 2018 Farm Bill and even the 2014 Farm Bill, but the 2018 Farm Bill actually re- removed things from the scheduled substances list, but yet it wasn't really, f- I mean, things weren't fully regulated. And so we were still in like this gray area. Like, for example, I mean, CBD, for example, is not yet regulated completely by the FDA. They haven't released their, their guideline or their uh, language on it. But now, now, so just to clarify, yes. it was taken off Schedule 1. But yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it was removed from the scheduled substances list. Uh, it's no longer even on any of the schedules. Um, however, it wasn't, the FDA didn't come out with regulation. So while it's not illegal, it's also technically not legal, at least on a federal level. I mean, some states have, have opened up certain programs and everything. Uh, but so it's in this like really gray area where it could come out that you're not allowed to produce it, or it could come out that you're allowed to produce it. Right. I um, mean, certainly I think smart companies are making, they're taking precautions uh, in the event event that you have much stricter regulations on it. Uh, and so that's definitely happening um, for, for many of the small producers. It's going to be a challenge. I mean, I think it's going to be a challenge regardless, just because of the standards that we're going to have to take in order, in order to process it. I mean, regardless of whether or not we're allowed to process uh, into food or nutraceuticals or only pharmaceuticals, we're still going to have to have processing standards and good manufacturing proce- uh, practices, uh, GMP. Uh, and that's going to be very important because, I mean, you don't want people getting sick on these products because so far we haven't had, knock on, knock on wood, thank God there's table in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we haven't had any major issues with CBD products out in the wild, but you never know. Somebody could get a contaminated product and that just caused so many issues. Yeah, um, if but, anything, really on the market, people are, are if anything, uh, bad products because there's less CBD than, than yeah. people are anticipating to send yeah, more. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, so many products are just, yeah, there haven't really been, there's been some aspects of contamination, but more so in like a few years ago, there hasn't really been any major studies as of late uh, in terms of all the products that are out there. But it's, uh, yeah, no, I definitely would agree that a lot of it's just the fact that on the bottle it's labeled as one thing and it's not really, it's not really that product or it's not, it doesn't really have that THC content. Uh, there's definitely a lot less people trying to sell hemp seed oil as CBD oil. I think most people are pretty, if they know about CBD oil, they're pretty knowledgeable about that at this point in time, there's been enough information out there. Um, and so, and, but there's still, I mean, we've had some, there's, a, there's been some lawsuits. I think the largest was 40 million in terms of hemp genetics. So there's definitely still some uh, snake oil salesmen in the hemp genetics world, but uh, there's there's been some lawsuits, and so we're gonna we're gonna see some changes. I just read about or heard about one recently, Paradise Paradise um, CBD. I'm not so familiar with that one, but uh, um, Hemp Logic was uh, the the company that I believe out in. California or Colorado, one of those. Um, and uh, yeah, they said that their seed was like 90% feminized and like a certain percentage of CBD. And it turned out that it was like maybe farmers got like 30% uh, feminized. And if people aren't familiar with what feminized means, it's essentially that uh, um, 
in the actual genetics, there's no male chromosomes, and so, or there's very limited male chromosomes. So ideally, you won't have any males in the field because when you're growing CBD plants, you don't want any males in the field because they'll pollinate the CBD plants. Then the flowers that you're trying to harvest will turn into seed, and you won't have any flower to harvest. So, yeah. yeah. It, it. <laughs> This agriculture. So the USDA, there was a couple of things that I read. Yep. It's a it's a very in-depth. Bob, so far, just you as someone on periphery, what, have you glanced at it yet? It's 161 pages. <laughs> have you glanced at it yet? Yeah. I didn't read 161 pages. I'll bet you Aiden read all 161 pages. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I uh, skimmed it visually and then i uh, had siri read the whole page like three or four times to he me, probably so. sat down with a glass of wine and said yeah this is going to be my nightcap for the evening on the whole 161 pages <laughs> yeah. it, it took a while to go through but uh there's there's also i mean there's a lot of like breakdowns to it i was gonna there, say so yeah. there, there, there's there there is if somebody wants to find something and also they actually also have a webinar that gives def, definitely doesn't go into depth in terms of like testing standards or the exact details of everything but it kind of gives you a brief overview it's like 12 minutes long if anybody wants to check it out it's right on the usda's website if you search usda hemp program you'll probably get it um it pops right up because yeah. that's how i looked yeah. at it when Absolutely. it first came out so Absolutely. actually they're very good I, i'm very they're very forthright through this process yeah. which is huge so right now it's a 60 day uh they're yep. taking comments yep. right now yep. um so i believe when this is being um when this will be launched it'll probably be the tail end of that 60 days yeah. so you would look it up the usda um but in the six days are you or anybody you know planning to uh send so, information? so actually um uh, those of you that are members of the NYHIA, uh, we are going to be uh, submitting comments. Um, you can email these comments, only comments, not questions. We don't have bandwidth for questions right now because we have a limited board, which I can talk about a whole other thing on that. Um, but uh, we, you can email them to hemp at NYHIAM or hemp, H-E-M-P at NYHIA.org. Uh, and there we will receive uh, your comments that will go into uh, the USDA's comment public comment period, which is a 60-day period, which started on October 31st when the uh, when it was actually published, which is also when the bill or the interim final rule goes into effect. Uh, for those of you that don't know, basically the interim final rule means that they essentially released this rule early on to kind of uh, guide people in the way that we're going to go. I mean, certainly these things are like laws are taking effect. It's not like it's just a guideline anymore. Um, but the it has what's called a sunset clause, which is essentially means that in two years, uh, this one is specifically two years, the sunset clause. It can, a sunset clause can be however long somebody uh, intends it to be. But essentially means that in two years it will be up. Um, and so at that time, uh, they're going to take, they they wanted this two-year period because they wanted enough time for us to pass through a whole growing season so they can actually see what the results are of this, the practices that they've put in place and see if they actually work, if people can actually work with them um, and go through that whole growing period. And then after that, they're going to take another year to then finalize the rules and figure out all the information from the what they've learned from that year and, and all the public comments and then actually finalize a rule and release it in two years. Um, so that would be, that'll be really great. Uh it's, um, yeah, no, this, this is phenomenal. I think the only thing I, I don't like about the, the, the interim, the, uh, for short, we can call it the IFR, the interim, Ooh. interim final rule. That's what they call it. I like on, it. Okay. On, 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 uh, some of the public websites. I didn't come up with that. Um, but the only thing I don't like 
which I'm sure there was some political reason in there, is that uh, they allow states, so they they don't allow, well, we'll get into the details of how this works, but mm-hmm. uh, they don't allow states uh, to prevent uh, or prohibit transportation or shipping through the state. However, they do allow states to actually prohibit production of hemp products in that state. Uh, and so that's, I think, the only thing I don't like. Uh, other than that, I think there's a lot of positive. Um, so, so that load of hemp that got busted in Idaho coming from yeah. from Oregon now that would go away. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. If you heard about 100%. That, so yeah, so Oregon produces it, and there's someone outside of Oregon that wanted it, and they drove through Idaho and it got yep. pulled over, and it's a it's a big thing. Yeah, right? yeah, no, and and I mean even that, uh, I don't I don't even think I don't know if Idaho had actually released a law stating that hemp was illegal to be transported through because once the 2018 farm bill. Uh, was signed in, in December of uh, 2018, uh, three things immediately happened. Uh, a, we're legally allowed to get banking service, whether or not they're actually, the banks are actually doing so. Um, B, we're legally allowed to get insurance, crop insurance, whether or not insurers are doing that yet. Um, and if it is, it's extremely expensive. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then also uh, interstate transportation and commerce commerce uh, opened up. And so we're legally allowed to sell in other states and we're legally allowed to transport through other states without violation. However, again, whether or not the police officers actually know that they're, they're allowed to do that. I mean, I think I mentioned on the last podcast uh the whole aspect of going to police stations and they have no idea that hemp is even legal like they're like oh i'm for it but they don't know and it's like well you are the police officer you're the one that's going to potentially be arresting me because you think i'm carrying contraband in my car when in reality i have a license and it's completely legal um but yeah so now uh that has been like clarified Right. So yes, a state can prohibit the production of hemp in that state. However, they're not allowed to prohibit the shipping and transportation through that state. I'm not so clear on whether or not you're allowed to sell into that state. Uh, I, I have to I have to clarify on that. Um, but I believe there's still states yeah. right now that you can't sell yeah. CBD yeah. unless yeah. it's produced in that state. Yeah. And then I believe there's one, Illinois maybe that yeah. you can't put it in at all. Yeah, that's. Foggy yeah, memory. Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so no, it's definitely, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of really good. Um, so just, I mean, just run over the, the, the really, yeah. the really basics here. So, um, as, as we mentioned, there's a 60 day, uh, public comment period. So this means that anybody that, that's out there that wants to comment on it or, uh, or give, um, suggestions as to the wording of something or putting in something new or removing something, uh, you can, you can send that to the USDA and they'll take it until December 30th. Um, and then, uh, so the IFR, as I said, has a sunset clause. And as I said, this will take, give them enough time to really test everything out and test the waters and then actually prepare the final. I'm excited about that. And and one of the things especially I like about that is how they're going to handle THC and THCA. So for those of you who don't know, there's CBD, CBDA, THC, THCA. Um, The A, so THCA is the pre-decarboxylated THC in a plant, basically. It's the acidic form. Yep, thank you. Uh, Same with CBDA. So a lot of times you get a a COA for um, flour for a a CBD plant, and there's more CBDAs than CBD, and then when you put heat to that, that's what converts it over to CBD. Um, So so 
part of the, what they talked about here is how you're going to handle plants that are above the 0.3, which is just an amount that was just randomly chosen, by the yep. way, everybody. So it's not a metric that it really means anything. It doesn't mean 0.3 or 0.5. You're going to feel it versus not feel it, folks. Yep. So let's put, let's put that out there. But that just seems to be the metric that everybody has used for some reason. I'd like to actually figure out how that got de- derived, Bob. That's something we got to look at. How did the 0.3 for THC get derived? Joy, I, think, joy I used to know it. That. I know. I used to know it. And I'm so mad I don't at the moment. But, but anyways... I, so the USDA has talked about this in in this proposal, and they're really trying to decide whether they're going to put this onus on the farmer yeah. or the processor yeah. at the end of the day. Because what can happen to destroy is, the plant. Thank you. So if the farmers get it and you factor the THC and the THCA together, yeah. and then there's a metric 0.88, I think, of THCA can become THC. It's around that maybe yeah. 0.82 off the top of my head. I'm sorry if I don't have that metric. Uh, and then, and then you also take what the THC is, and you add that together, and that gets your THC number. And if it's above 0.3, technically that plant is hot, yeah. and that plant shouldn't be taken by a processor, and it's supposed to be destroyed, destroyed if it's not part of a medical yeah. marijuana program. Yeah. Um, so what they've said now is in New York State is their New York State Ag and Market specific has told processors and growers in New York State. So they haven't put this document anywhere, yeah. but they're just telling everybody, and the word of mouth is spreading like wildfire. Yeah. Uh, thanks for validating um, that they're not going to um, bother with plants that the THCA level would put them hot. So they're only looking at the THC, and as long as the THC is under 0.3, they're going to allow the processors to take that. But what does that then happen? If the processors start to decarboxylate, which is part of the process in some cases, then it may give them more THC to mitigate uh, using a gas chromatography or another system to pull the THC from the CBD and the rest of the cannabinoids. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's definitely a, yeah, yeah. So the uh, the whole the whole aspect is that essentially before it was just it was just the THC. Right now it's the THC and THCA and. Um, and actually, uh, for testing labs now, uh, according to the USDA bill, uh, testing labs, so people that if you take a sample of your hemp that's growing in the field, you have to send it off to a lab to be tested to make sure that it's not hot or over the 0.3% THC. Um, and they actually legally have to be authorized by the DEA because just in case, I mean, it's, it's very likely that they're going to see uh, THC percentages higher than 0.3. Uh, and actually you, you probably know this better, but, uh, many processors will, will, and, and I know I was talking with a few of them, they were talking about how there are kind of those, uh, uh, like a processor, as long as the product that's then leaving comes in is below the 0.3% THC and it leaves is below the 0.3% THC is allowed. Because and then in between you have to document yeah. that and mitigate yeah. that to a proper handling company to handle yeah. it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right yeah. Cause it, it's uh, it, I mean, you just still it like, even though that may be 0.3 in the flower biomass, you, you extract those cannabinoids and then it goes above that 0.3. And then the reason also uh, CBD oil is called CBD oils because it's mixed usually with an, oil and the CBD is actually an extract. It's really just like a, the resin or the, the nectar from a flower. Um, and then it, it's mixed with an oil so that that concentration of THC is then lower than, than it needs to be. And also that's easier to take too. It's kind of challenging to just like take a drop of, uh, of CBD concentrate each, each morning. Yeah. You'd uh, have to have an acudoser. So yeah. you'd have to have an acudoser <laughs> and sit under it with your tongue. Uh, but then they, uh, processors are building pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Yeah. Day. So they are treating CBD like melatonin, yep. like these other extracts. Yeah. You just described it very well, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Bob, did you find out THC 3.3 yet? How it originated? 
my crack researcher. Let's see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly what I did. No, what I did not. I, <laughs> Hello, come on. I'm looking. I'm looking, man. Uh, did go you back see to how Shad- much information. Shenandoah. <laughs> All right, I, I will. Teasing. <laughs> there's probably snow there, so no. No, yeah, there's definitely snow here. So, so Aiden, um, I, I like the fact that they mentioned in the USDA they talked about seeds and they talked about yeah. how different states the same yep. seeds could be up. Um, so one of the things that, that I'm learning through this whole process is CBD and THC are really closely tied together in these yes. plants. Yep. Uh, I don't think we really know why yet, yeah. um, but it's just funny that these two that really have such medicinal benefits for you are tied even at yeah. the seed. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, I'm sure as what you're referring to is uh, what what hemp or CBD and THC actually are uh, transformed from in the plant. So uh, everybody's familiar with THC. Most people are familiar with CBD, uh, although maybe we're all in a bubble and we have no idea. Um, But most people are familiar with it. Uh, So THC and CBD, there's actually uh, what's called a precursor, which is essentially just means before. So, uh, a precursor is essentially something that turns into something else. Um, so, uh, CBD and THC actually come from another cannabinoid called CBG. Uh, and so CBG, uh, based on the genetics and based on, uh, also the growth method and everything that goes into it. And there's so many factors that grow into going to growing other than just the genetics, as, as you pointed out, we'll talk about, um, uh, CBG will convert into either THC or CBD and different ratios in the plant, depending on the genetics. Um, and so CBG is definitely, uh, we don't really know anything about it. Um, there's uh, but so yet it's expensive to obtain oh, yeah. seeds no, it's so expensive. and isolate well, from it right now, which is crazy. Well, it's, it's, it's just because you have, a ton of cannabinoids. We don't really know all that much about them. CBD was the craze because A, it was in higher concentrations in the plant than all the other cannabinoids behind THC. And then B, uh, it's non-psychoactive, which means it doesn't get you high. Uh, and um, yet it has benefits, sim- not exactly the same as THC, but with similar benefits. I mean, really, I'd say the biggest thing that cannabinoids do overall is they reduce inflammation. And inflammation is shown to, as many studies have pointed out, shown to cause more than 50% of your illnesses, uh, including anxiety. And so that's actually where, uh, and depression. And so that's actually where uh, that kind of fits in. Um, so CBG uh, generally is, so when the flowers start turning into flowers and they start producing some resin, CBG is usually the first resin to be produced. uh, And then that converts into either THC or CBD. Um, But uh, just because, so CBD was the craze. Now everybody's doing CBD. I mean, you see right and left, a CBD company popping up just one after another, hundreds of them are out there. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Um, And then somebody's like, oh, well, we need a new thing to kind of stimulate the market again. So it's like, oh, CBG, it's the next, it's the the next uh, um, uh, low hanging fruit uh, in terms of the, the cannabinoid world um, though I mean there's there are people that have pretty much worked out the, the genetics side of it at least preliminary uh, genetics because it takes anywhere between 8 to 13 years to actually stabilize a genetic that's like ready to grow uh, but not just ready to grow, but ready to grow in a particular microclimate and in a particular uh, soil type um, and so many factors, and also uh, Sundays. So uh, people that don't know, um, 
unlike crops like corn and wheat and such, which are heat sensitive in terms of they, they kind of change their maturity uh, based on the temperature of the ground. Uh, cannabis is actually a photosensitive crop, so it will change its mature. It will go through its maturity patterns based on the light days. And, and actually what's crazy about that is that you could plant a hemp crop a month before you're going to harvest it and into the, into like the growing season and you're going to get a crop, you're going to get a fully matured crop. It, it'll be tiny. It'll, it'll have such a small period of time to go through a vegetative growth, but it'll, it'll be a crop. Um, and so it's de- it definitely has more leeway in terms of that. I mean, in terms of CBD, you don't really want to do that because you're not going to have anything worthwhile to harvest at the end of it. Um, but so what you kind of t- touched on in terms of the, the seed uh, is that the USDA is recognizing that, right? Like most of the seed that people are acquiring is coming from like Colorado or Oregon or California, maybe from a little bit from Canada. And those climates, while they may be similar in some circumstances, they're not identical to ours. They're not, they don't have the same soil types. They don't have the same uh, environment, the same humidity, the same light days. Um, it's just there's so many factors that go into play, and people think about cannabis as such a simple crop to grow, but there's there's so many parameters that you really have to worry about if you want to get a good crop. I mean, growing fiber is easy, just like growing corn, but growing anything that's you're you're trying to get the quality of the the plant and like the flower that's producing, which is really like its fruit. Um, then it takes a lot more effort to like go into that. Um, and what Aiden is so successfully explaining is CBD plants can, can really be different percentages. So, yep. all right, let, let's put this in perspective for THC for people. So in the sixties, when people are just smoking at Woodstock, like <laughs> joint after joint after joint, that THC back then that they were probably smoking was maybe 14, 16%, 17%, maybe. Yeah. Um, I remember Dr. Harold Smith mentioned one time they were always looking for that one hit weed, right? <laughs> where they knew it was that one strain that was maybe a little bit better, yeah. way above everything else, where everything else was just, they could smoke all day because it wasn't a, an intense yeah. Yeah. high. So now you go out to Colorado, let's fast forward to now, or, or any of these states with dispensaries, and you got THC in there that's 26, 27, 28, 32%. Yeah. Some people it's get nuts. really... Uh, anxious smoking like yeah. that much high THC percentage. Yeah. Like it's too much for him. It gets him. So what he's describing is CBD is the same way. So even though it's not the psychoactive, uh, I'm holding something, Ira Fair, who was on our uh, podcast last episode. Great, uh, great man. He was permit number five in the state. I have one of his buds in my hand right now. It smells good. He properly cured it. This is 13% CBD that I have in my hand. Um, but I know there are other strains out there that are hitting 19%, 18%. Uh, There's a lifter that I know is growing on Long Island. That's about an 18 and a half percent, which is great, but that you got to watch for that THC percentage hitting hot on these high percentages, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, also many of the genetics that are out there that are bred for CBD plants because, because you're searching for that flower, uh, hemp plants, like industrial hemp plants and such, are, they don't, they're not cultivated for their flower. They, you'd, have to, you'd have to breed them for like 200 years or 100 years in order to get them to the point where they'd be able to produce the flower that you're looking for again. Um, and so most of these crops are bred from marijuana plants uh, originally, or the marijuana genetics. Um, and so you, A, already have issues with the high THC. I mean, you're talking about these, it's ridiculous how high THC percentages have gotten to. I mean, pretty soon there's not going to be uh, enough plant material to actually hold the bud up. Um, <laughs> it's all just going to be oil and falling apart. That's, I love it. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Proper medication. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, 
it's definitely so you have the THC there, and then also as I mentioned before, the the CBD or CBG uh, that turns into either THC and CBD, and you can have some bad weather, and you can have some too hot weather, too much water. You can shock the plants and just turn make them turn into a whole other crop. Uh, and so you can have that CBG that you thought was going to turn into the CBD because that's what you had in terms of the genetics pretty quickly into uh, THC. And then also, as I mentioned, it takes about eight to 13 years to stabilize your crop. That's a long time. The CBD industry hasn't really been around for that long, <laughs> like getting genetics that are stabilized for that. I mean, yes, we've had genetics elsewhere in the world, but again, we need to make those genetics stabilized to our microclimate, to our soil types, to our growing methods, uh, and our and that's different in every state of yeah, this country. Absolutely. And even in different places in the state too. I mean, there's, yeah, I think, I think that most likely if you had a genetic that was bred to New York, you'd likely be able to plant it in different places in New York and have a much better result than if you took a genetic from Colorado and plant in New York. I mean, yes, you could take a really, really, really well-stabilized genetic from Colorado and you'd probably have a decent chance of, if you cultivate it really well, like if you went down to like the black dirt or the, yeah, the black dirt and like cultivated down there and had like perfect drainage, perfect soil type, like just ideal conditions, you could probably grow that crop, Yeah. You're really that, weeding out all the weeds. You're yeah, hundred percent. Sure yeah, the only yep. Th- yep. only thing in the, is, yep. is that plants. absolutely. Oh, and yep. and even then, you're probably not going to get as good as if you were to grow that same genetic in Colorado. Uh, and so that that just causes a whole bunch of issues. So uh, that's definitely something that the USDA was very uh, spot on. I mean, they were that was great. I'm happy to see that because. Most people don't know that. Uh, and I mean, it definitely makes sense, right? In terms of any any plant. Um, but it's just, it's not, it's not like, there's just this myth that's been spread around that you can plant hemp anywhere and it'll grow like a weed because uh, we all know it's called weed, right? Uh, and it'll be perfect. And, and you can grow also, like you can grow it in infertile soil and it'll change that soil into fertile soil and it'll be perfect and you'll have a great crop. I have so many people coming up to me that just have like vacant land and they're like, I want to use my land and make money. Can I get into the hemp industry? I'm like, well, A, the industry is just not quite there for you in terms of the the infrastructure. It's just, you're just not, unless you're ready to be a farmer or you're ready to be cultivating and that's what you're doing or or that's a percentage of and what you're doing. And have a processing partner too. Yeah, and I have mean, a processing partner. Yeah. Anybody, anybody that's even thinking of growing hemp before you, before you even like research a seed company to buy seed from, find a processor because a there's a decent chance that processor might know of genetics that they could purchase and you'd have a better genetic to to start with and also they know what they want to buy in terms of the flower have a better idea of what they hopefully they have an idea of what they want to buy, uh, and that way you uh, a know when you put and also write a contract. And get a good lawyer. Don't just have your buddy sit down and like write out your contract for you. No, no, no. Get a lawyer. It may be expensive up front, but you'll be very, very happy when you have it over the long term. Because I mean, maybe the first year is good and you able to you're able to work it out and everything. But then the next year, when you guys are making more income and more money's coming flowing through the the coffers, you're gonna you're gonna want to have that contract in place to make sure that you don't lose out. Um, so it's very important that you have a processor that's lined up to process for you. Uh, because How many million acres do we think are we sitting on the field this year on process? <sighs> I think, well, I think there was 480,000 acres registered throughout the United States. Um, and 
estimates. I mean, the we haven't gotten solid numbers back yet, but estimates based on people I've talked to, they're thinking like maybe a quarter of that was actually grown, and then how much of that was actually successfully harvested and produced. And the reason why we're going to have a lot of hemp on these fields is no banks are still giving yep. processors money, so the processors yep. can't get up and running in time to process this yep. this hemp. So. There's good and bad to this, right? Number one, we are all learning about the strains, what where it can grow. That's great. So any yeah. of these farmers that really did small plots this year in any of these states is probably your best bet because you were then just yeah. sampling and seeing yep. what can grow. But second, starting next year, they're going to hope there's a lot more processors up and running because Aiden, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier today. Out of 72 companies that got licenses, how many do you <laughs> think right now in the state are actually... Uh, uh, so it, they were given out in March... Uh, let's just say by March 1st, how many do you think are going to be up and running? Well, by March 1st of next year, I don't really know exactly. Right, let's say but, January but 1st. Right, but right now, yeah. I mean, I can probably count on my hand how many people are actually operational, uh, have products that are at least either ready to go or in the market, um, are even ready or capable of processing or have something that's set up that's really capable uh, and even then, it's it's a, it's a challenge. They're not there. There isn't really any mass scale production, so that may be coming online soon, uh, or or will be coming online soon, I should say. Um, and uh, so it's definitely a challenge there. I mean, these small processors aren't able to take in a lot of flour, and so you have a lot of it left out in the field, right? Uh, and since they have such small scale and I mean, I mean, it just makes sense in business terms and in general, in terms of like, it costs you X to process this much flour. So you want the best quality flour you can get. You don't want to get crap flour. You don't want to process the whole plant because it's going to take you this amount, this amount of money and this amount of time to process it. And you want to get as much as you can on the other side. Um, and so if you have bunk uh, plants out there, which a lot of them are, because a lot of the genetics are just really faulty. And that's also a factor of, as we said, it takes a long time to stabilize genetics, so we haven't really had the time to do it. And also, the market just exploded in terms of producers. And so, you, while like the first few years, you had very few genetics producers, so they were producing decent quality genetics, and you had very few crop growers, so they could buy those genetics, and there was enough to go around. All of a sudden, the market exploded, uh, and you don't have enough genetics to go around. The people that are already in on the, like, already know what's going on. They know who to buy genetics from to get good quality genetics. Those genetics are gone now because they've been purchased, and the stuff that's left over is the snakes, uh, snake sale, um, snake oil salesman. Uh, and it's just, it's a lot of people like maybe their genetics will turn out to be good genetics in eight years, but it's their first year growing that genetic and they don't know what's going to look like. Uh, they don't know what's going to turn out to be. Uh, they may have gotten great test results in their small little test plots, but I think it takes four years to get a certification in terms of like, you have to have four years of stable crop that's being grown. Uh, and then you can actually get a, a um, certification for your seed. Um, so there's a lot that needs to be going into that, but yeah, no, there's definitely the aspects of so many banks just don't want to, I mean, it's crazy cause they can make so much money, but it's also, there's, there's still a lot of risk in terms of like a, a ton of licenses were handed out to people that had no idea what they're doing, have no idea of not just growing the plant. They don't know how to run a business. They don't understand finances at all. Uh, there's just so many factors that go into that and it's like, okay, great. Yes. Maybe you can learn on the run. Uh, but how many people are actually doing that? How many people are actually going out and just like learning as they're doing it? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a challenge. Um, but yeah, but 
I definitely think it's going to take a few years to really kind of shake all the, shake the tree and shake it all, all the bad apples. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, it's yes, extremely exciting. I mean, just, yeah, again, this USDA bill is just phenomenal. Um, as, as you guys stated before, it's 161 pages. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody wants to go out and read it, uh, they can do, definitely do it. Um, actually, if you use uh, Siri on your iPhone, she'll, she can read it for you. I never thought times. about doing that before. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's actually decent, uh, voice quality. It used to be really robotic, but now it's just getting better in terms of more, more tonality or whatever. Um, it's, it's, I mean, if you just want to quickly run through it or, four hours run through it um something like that uh but anyway but yeah no so um uh so kind of again to note on i mentioned earlier that um that states are allowed to prohibit the production of hemp in their state uh so kind of to talk about how is the program going to run in terms of like how are states going to get programs what what will happen if states don't choose a program, yada, yada, yada. Um, so essentially, uh, the USDA is developing a federal program, all right? Um, and this federal program is going to kind of be the guidelines for everybody else's program. Um, and uh, what they've said is that uh, a state is allowed to have a program that's more restrictive, but not less restrictive than, than the federal program. Um, as I stated before, they can make this so restrictive that you're not allowed to have any hemp production in that state, but yet you're still allowed to ship and transport through the state. You cannot be arrested for that. Uh, hopefully the cops will get on board with this. Um, but aren't we up to like 47 states that are, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's, 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 yeah, there's so many. It's, I, I I imagine it's in there just in case there's like that one state that wants to not do that, but there's so many so many people already have regulations and, and if they don't, they're, they're just, they're not being smart. Um, it's, it, yeah, they're being it naive just, to yeah. the health benefits for yeah. their state. Well, the really. health benefits, the economic, I mean, so many factors that, that go into play there. Um, that, yeah, it's just, they're it's fine just, with the opioids, but let's yeah. keep the, let's yeah. keep the CBD out. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Which yeah. doesn't have uh, by the way, and we haven't really talked about this before, but there's, but there's really no, uh, you can't get hooked, addicted yeah. to CBD folks. Yeah. Like opioids you do, like yeah. it can give you the same benefit of opioids without yeah. the addiction. Yeah. So, uh, the not I'm gonna firstly state I'm not a, not a doctor so I don't I take these take these claims with a grain of salt um, or not claims take these uh, statements with a grain of salt um, so the understanding is that it's not physically addictive but like anything it can be uh, psychologically addictive like you can you can get addicted to running right uh, you can get addicted to whatever it might be 100%, um, yeah. so and so uh, so yes you can definitely get addicted to it but it's not a physical aspect and then another thing too that I always find interesting I was talking uh, with a friend earlier about um, drug tests and kind of how they work and how we see uh, like the fact that THC and cannabinoids are fat um, uh, store in your, your fat cells, uh, why uh, that's, we see that as a negative um, because you're not going to be able to pass your drug test if you smoke a joint six months or before right, or six weeks before. Um, but while other chemicals are usually uh, water-soluble and, and cannabinoids are fat-soluble, um, that uh, it stores in your fat cells. And so it, it actually kind of releases, if you stop taking your cannabinoids, it'll release over time. And so it'll kind of help you to wean off of it um, naturally. Whereas if you stop another drug, it's not in your system anymore and you're just, you're just left 
without it. That's um, a great point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And so I've always found that interesting. There always people think of that as a negative factor, but I think it's like, it's actually, if we change our perspective on it, it's actually a benefit. Well, I always, the, the thing I take that perspective from is I say, well, it's one of the things I've learned that actually multiplies in your system when you exercise yeah. as well. And I don't know of another thing in your body yeah. that multiplies during exercise. So, so if THC multiplies in your body during exercise, there's a reason why your body wants yeah. to multiply. It. It's not like, can't like if you work out, if you have cancer <laughs> and you go and you're working out, your cancer doesn't multiply and get bigger because you're working yeah. out. Right. But yet THC does. That's, I love that yeah, piece. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no worries. Uh, but yeah, no, so that's just phenomenal. But anyway, so getting back to the USDA plan. So uh, USDA is going to develop the, the federal plan. States, uh, and actually also tribes too, uh, they're separate, um, can develop their own program. Uh, and if they don't develop their own program and they also don't restrict the production of hemp, then the USDA's program will be adopted into it. So in terms of those people that want to get licensed to grow or process hemp, again, in states that do not prohibit the production of hemp products, um, you, uh, if this, if the state either has a program in place, meaning that's from the 2014 farm bill or the 2018 farm bill or whenever it was, or if they've, um, submitted a program to the USDA to be reviewed, uh, you have to apply to the state. If they have not, then you can apply to the USDA. Uh, there's actually um, a web or the the uh, the webinar will kind of show the specific details of like you have to do like a go find your FBI background history, which was kind of interesting, and like submit that and uh, whole and they show you how to do that. And it's just, it's just very interesting because it's the federal government versus your state government, so there's slightly different um, regulations there. Um, and then another thing to note is that while a state may allow or may prohibit the production of hemp in their state, uh, if a tribe has tribal land in within the vicinity of that state, um, they are still allowed to uh, allow hemp production. Um, so you could have a tribe tribal land within a state still producing hemp, even though the state's not producing hemp. And then they're legally allowed to transport that out of the state and ship it out of the yeah, state. Over without, the illegal area. Yeah, exactly. Know. And all, all the other people could be jealous. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so USDA, so, I, so okay, uh, a quick, quick point. I noticed there was a lot of, um, communication there about the tribes yeah. as well. Is, do you see where there's tribes really picking up on this industry yet? Because I haven't I, seen anywhere. I, I've seen a few in like uh, like more of the um, southwest area, um, but I haven't really seen too many up here. Um, I have uh, I have a few friends that are uh, from tribes down in the southwest area, and they've been kind of telling me about that. Um, they also picked up like medical marijuana and stuff like that, so they're they're definitely interested. Um, I think it's still early. Uh, we actually had communication with through the NYHA uh, with some um, uh, some women. And uh, they're representing the tribes, and they definitely are interested in it. Um, I think that these See, regulations. I'm thinking with of- tribes like um, Indians were were friends of the cannabis. You mean plant. Native Americans? Very, Native, Native <laughs> Americans. Thank you for Polit- that. Political, political correctness. Correct. Native Americans were uh, used the cannabis plant early mm-hmm. on, so I would imagine they would have been the first with extraction methods. Right for I could yeah. see that in them. They, they they understood peyote and how yeah. to extract it. Yeah. So I'm curious. It's weird to me, I guess, that not one tribe is like yeah. at the forefront. Like yeah, well, we've had this our yeah. whole lives. Yeah, like, I think I think a lot of it comes just down to the aspect that there wasn't really specific regulation for them before. And now there is. Um, so again, it's just like 
weighing your risk versus your reward. Um, and if you have no idea what your risk is because there wasn't legis- legislation out, then you're kind of uh, in, a, in a very gray area is why we call it the gray area. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so those are, I, I definitely think that they're going to start taking off more and they have been doing medical, medical, medical marijuana production. I'm not sure about any recreational production, but I know of medical marijuana grows. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely going to start taking off more. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so places that, uh, do not open up their own laws, uh, will have the, the USDA's program in their state, um, which will be the least restrictive of all the programs unless states choose to be just as restrictive as they are. Um, excuse me. Um, and, uh, let's see here. Oh, another thing too is, uh, it's, it was pretty much the, the definition before. Um, but the exact difference now between hemp and marijuana is literally the line of the 0.3% THC. Um, so technic, uh, legally now, uh, before it was t- more technically speaking than anything else, uh, legally now the cannabis plant, uh, or hemp is any cannabis plant that has below 0.3% THC and marijuana is any cannabis plant that has above 0.3% THC. So now I wonder how this is going to go into play when, uh, the marijuana companies start producing CBD products or they're going to be producing hemp and do they have to have a hemp license? Uh, that will be a whole thing that's questions because right now many of them are producing CBD products, um, and they're producing them under their medical marijuana license. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's definitely a, a very interesting thing. So, um, I kind of mentioned, uh, um, so the individual application, uh, so the USDA, as soon as they published their, this document on October 31st, they've started accepting, uh, applications from states for their programs. Um, and I'm, I don't think anybody's actually put in a a program yet. I know Kentucky tried to send one in like a year ago or a year and a half ago, which is just like, that's purely publicity, nothing else. You have no idea what the standards are going to be unless you really have some insight. But like there's, there's so much that was worked on in the past year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, Teams every day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that happened in uh, 31st. And then um, if uh, no programs are implemented in the state, again, if the state already has the 2014 Farm Bill or has a state prior to or a program prior to this, then they have a program you have to work underneath theirs. But if your state doesn't and has not prohibited the production of hemp, then you can actually submit your individual application on December 31st of this year. Um, now, uh, notice is that if you, as it was previously, if you have a uh, drug-related felony, you may not apply. Now, I'm not 100% certain whether or not this re- relates to any felony, um, but based on the language, it would appear that it doesn't. I was curious about that. So it would it would it would appear that it could be uh, um, perceived as it being that it doesn't affect people that are have non non-drug-related felonies. But we have to get a clarification on that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as, as we missed, uh, just kind of knock on the testing a bit more. So as I know, the only thing I can okay, see is that caveat yeah. is to prevent black market yeah. sales, right? Yeah, absolutely. To me, they're not looking for someone just doing no. little petty stuff. No. It's really trying to prevent black yeah, market absolutely. sales. Right? Absolutely. That's, that's, so I guess it just depends on, to be one of those things that depends on how individual police forces or, yeah. or counties yeah. handle that yeah. piece of the legislation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we definitely have to, there's, there's still stuff to be worked out and we still have to see how this happens, but this is, this is a big step uh, in the many steps that we're going to have to take to have this uh, matured industry. And I mean, any industry doesn't, it's, 
is still evolving. So uh, we'll never be fully evolved. Um, but anyway, so I just want to, uh, we have these few more minutes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just kind of go back to the whole testing aspect. So as I mentioned, um, testing labs have to have uh, uh, DEA authorization. The And we actually had had a little bit of conversation about this. The, the It appeared that the standards are, um, in terms of the THC percentages, are authorized by the DEA, or I mean the USDA. Um, and then, uh, and then for, you have to have uh, DEA authorized because in case you have over 0.3% THC, um, people, so states that are launching a program generally for a test, uh, for a test lab, you have to have either liquid or gas chromatography. Um, those are the approved ones, uh, pr- approved standards. Um, however, a state may, uh, may apply, uh, or uh, get a comparable standard reviewed by the USDA, and the USDA may choose to accept it. Uh, but that's the state's determination, not uh, individual labs, which is great because we won't have 100 different testing standards and 100 different results. Um, and then uh, another note is that for producers, so the growers, uh, samples now must be taken, and previously I believe it was uh 20 days, but now it's, uh, or two weeks, or, you know, it was 20 days. Um, now it's uh, 15 days prior to the anticipated harvest. And this sample uh, must be taken either by a USDA approved agent or um, a federal or state law enforcement officer. Um, and so you have to c- contact them ideally far earlier than those 15 days. Yeah, to schedule it. This is uh, yeah, going to be the biggest concern I have. 100% how many people are going to be able to do this? Like, are they going to have enough manpower? They don't even have enough manpower to right do it now. now. Ag no. markets in New York State. Yeah, no. But the USDA wants to say that they're going to yep. go on every yep. farm and pull the sample yep. themselves. Yeah. And, and, and you, take, never gonna have you take so many multiple samples per field, right? Uh, so the the whole thing is that you're going to essentially, once you get your license, you're going to send it into the USDA and they're going to give you uh, like um, basically what's like sections that you have to take samples from. And each one of these sections you have to take a sample from. And I mean, like for example, one of my fields, uh, they actually didn't even test my field this year. They were like, Oh, you're okay. You're not, you're not growing stuff. That's going to go above the 0.3% THC. We don't care. Um, And so they, they just didn't use manpower on me. But the first year I grew, I had like a three acre field and they took seven samples, um, which also for people that are, I mean, we're going to see what the pricing is for application fees going forward in terms of what the state program is released. But for those that are like $500 for my application fee is really expensive. It's actually not that expensive when you consider what you're actually getting for that $500 application fee. So on average, each sample, not not the whole samples that you take from the field, but each sample can cost between a hundred and $200 or more per sample. And so you're talking seven samples from a field that's over a thousand dollars right there in terms of the costs for, for each one of those samples. And when you pay the USD or the, uh, the um, department of ag in New York for that $500 application fee, not only are you getting your license if you are approved, which is pretty easy to get approved unless now you're trying to get a CBD processor license. Um, and only because that's closed, right? Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, so, uh, it's pretty easy to get approved. And then, um, and uh, that $500 fee is going in for that three-year license. Each year, you're going to have somebody come out to your field for you. You don't have to 
pay a dime. You just have to schedule with them. Take all those samples, take them back to a lab, test them for you all for that $500. Like, like that is, that's like getting like each test for 20 bucks or something. Cause right now this year, farmers <laughs> technically have to pay for that test themselves. Right. And then they're not going through that process of taking the proper samples unless they're working with a good testing yep. lab who tells them this is how you should yep. take your samples. So you got to trust that farmer's going to doing the good samples. Then in 15 days, that plant can change. Yep. So the minute you can pull it down, you got to do another sample. Yeah. So you're talking about farmers are built in probably $600 in testing. Yeah. And actually, that, that's a good point. Uh, the USD actually made marks to that, that if you take sampling after those 15 days, so what it is is the 15-day period is that your anticipated harvest date. So it could change potentially, but ideally you have an, an anticipated harvest date and then you have that 15 days that you're going to get it tested beforehand because if you wait too long it, that plant could go hot and then you get tested and then you have a hot plant and now you have to destroy your whole crop so you really want to get that in and and as we mentioned you want to ideally schedule this as early and in advance as possible because there's only so much manpower that can go around. I mean, all these police officers, like I'm just picturing like a whole entire police station, just like being like, Oh, you're going to this, these farms and taking these samples. And it's going to take you 45 minutes in each field to take, take all those samples. Cause you got to walk through the field and take them and cut all the flowers and make sure everything's going right. So that's just a lot. And then of- where are all those, Going to cops, where are they sending it? The same testing lab as USDA. I mean, here, like, all right, let me put for New York State for an instance for people out there. In New York State, there's one third party testing lab, Wadsworth, and it can only do medical marijuana testing for the 10 marijuana testing medical marijuana producing companies. So, all these CBD processors that got licenses, there's not even a place in New York State right now to do third party testing. Not a single one. No one. Hopefully there will be. Yeah, but there's not one. So now everybody has sent out of state. And the other caveat to that, everybody's doing sample prep differently because there's no standard of sample prep yet. So the USDA could be using a a testing lab that does their sample prep one way. And then let's imagine a cop who's never taken samples before. And now he takes instead of good bud, which is all they should test, all of a sudden he's got some stems, he's got some leaves because he's in a hurry. He wants to go... It's something going on. He doesn't want to be on the field. You have so many factors that yeah. can screw this up. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I think that's definitely going to be a factor that will have to be very considered uh, throughout the process. Though I imagine it's, it's at this point in time, they just don't really know who else to do. Although they do say USDA approved agents. So it's possible that they could create a licensing program for that. And then many people can go to that. And then or they can allow us ag markets yeah. to be their absolutely, reps, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, 100%. each state's ag market yeah. probably is going to yeah. be who they yep. recruit to yep. point, but the ag markets are overwhelmed yeah. right yeah, now exactly. in exactly. every state. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to have to go to a third party somehow there. Um, so another thing to note uh, is that, um, so you taste, you take the, the test is post decarboxylation, right? Decarboxylase. Okay. Um, and so, uh, as as Brian mentioned earlier, it's it's uh, you're essentially converting all the T or as as much of the THCA in the plant into the THC, and then that way you have a higher you have the concentration of the two combined, and you don't have to, you don't have to take samples of both and then try to combine them that way, and that just causes issues as well. Um, so you decarbox uh, decarb the plant, uh, and then um, uh, the uh, so it must be below that 0.3% THC, right? Uh, however, there's something called a, uh, a measurement of uncertainty or the MU. And uh, also, oh, quick note, 
it's on a dry weight basis. So uh, that means that there's no water content in the actual plant, right? So it's uh, um, that 0.3% THC, like you could test it with the water and it may be like 0.01% THC, but then as soon as you remove that water, it goes up to like 0.4 and oh, you're screwed. Um, so you got to test it after you, you it's dried out. I mean, in the testing lab will do that. You don't have to dry it out yourself. Or I'm, not actually, I'm actually not sure. It's better to send it dry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause you don't want to, yeah. cause you, Absolutely. you don't want to, you, you know what the percentage of the water content is and that way you don't have to worry about what the, whatever the lab's going to figure out. Yeah. And you don't know when it get when it dries, if it's yep. going to change on yep. you too. Absolutely. And then you don't, yeah, there's yeah. so many factors. With yeah, that. absolutely. Um, so yeah, so everybody should dry their, their, their stuff before they send it. But anyway, so, uh, the measurement of uncertainty and essentially what this is, is that we're pretty good at testing things and testing chemicals, but we may not be perfect, right? There's definitely going to be variabilities in those testing standards and everything. And not just the testing standards, but the actual results that you might get back. And so essentially what a, a measurement of uncertainty or MU is, is a range in which uh, it's allowed to be tested off. So like say your MU is 0.6% or no, 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 0.06%, mm-hmm. right? So say when that test comes in, uh, the test is 0.35%, uh, right? Um, well, because you have that 0.6 range that it's possible that it could be higher, it could be more like uh, 4.1%, right? Or, or, or it could be less than 2.9% because that 0.3% can be found on that range, it's, it's allowed, Right, so it, your your plant could have tested technically hot, but because you have that MU uh, and you have that range in which it's allowed to test, uh, it can it's allowed to be passed, and so it will not be uh, a violation, and you will not have to destroy the crop. You test it hot, you got to destroy the crop. So that's a that's a whole big. And, and you know what? And this is what I think. And we got to cut this short tonight, but I, the the point I want to make here is I almost think it should be put on the processors. That way, these farmers. Yeah. Uh, who can't control this early yep. on. Uh, maybe a couple years down the line, we have better strains and we can control this a little bit better. But at the end of the day, processors, let me explain how a processor can mitigate it. So a processor will use CO2 or ethanol or butane or water, whatever way they're going to extract with. They're going to put the plant yep. matter into that at a very cold temperature. They're going to be pulling out all the crystals. They're going to be pulling out all the stuff they need out of there. Then you're going to have this slush that's like without, slush left over. And then that slush gets put through further processes. But at the end of the day, once you mitigate all that slush from, if you use ethanol, you pull ethanol out or you get the CO2 or whatever, you, you water, you take it all out. What you have left then, there is TC in there. And you can use what he mentioned before, Aiden, liquid chromatography or gas chromatography system. And then you can pull that out, mitigate that TC or limit it so you can make a good broad spectrum, or I'm sorry, full spectrum product out no, of it. You're, you're broad, broad, broad spectrum. spectrum. Yep. yep. With, with the THC in it. So, so, my, so my contention is leave it up to processors because yep. then they have to document their process. They can get someone that comes in and say, you come and take this THC, which is in different form now, and these yep. farmers don't have to lose a lot of money if the yeah. crop goes high. No, 100%. I mean, like most other industries, we don't put the onus on the farmer. We put the onus on the on the processor, right? Because, I mean, the farmer has no idea, unless unless they're going out every single day and they're tasting, taking a sample and they're testing in a lab, they have no idea what they're, what they're producing. Um, there's some technologies that are coming out that we may be able to just touch the plant and test it, but uh, that's still a few years out. Um, but yeah, for accuracy, yes, yeah, for accuracy, exactly. Because yeah, it's so it, hard. It, to, yeah, yeah, exactly. It won't. It won't. And that probably won't be legally allowed to be the testing. It would probably just be. I'm going to have confidence that when I send this off for testing, that it won't go hot, right? Um, but it's. Uh, yeah, no. There's just 
there's still there's still a lot that needs to be worked out, but there's a lot of positive with this. And as I said, this is the interim final rule. This is not the final rule. So we still have two years to kind of shake things out and, and show the USDA that this is what we want. And again, if people want to make comments, please send a, or either just send them directly to the USDA or if you want to get a little bit more push behind them, send them to the NYHIA, which speaking of, I just want to quickly yep, note. Before, I wanna, yeah, so we're about we, to close up. Please uh, list all your social media sites for people yeah. to find you. Oh, yeah. Please, yeah. please. So, uh, we'll well, first, gamut. before, before that, uh, just I, I, sorry if I go over a little bit. Um, so we're actually, uh, we're growing our board for the NYHIA. We currently have four members. We actually just released the voter ballot and we're, getting elections currently um the elections will I just end. voted yesterday yeah, yeah, yeah I, I saw that uh elections will end on november 25th um and if we don't have a quorum which we currently have about 42 members and so we need at least 22 of them uh 51 to have a quorum uh so that we can actually pass that vote and uh, anybody that's out there they should join the nyha if they're in new york state if they're not in new york state they should join the hia it's really simple you go to joinhemp.org and you fill out information and and you sign up and and if you are in a certain state make sure on the third page after you fill in like your uh shipping or your uh, your address and everything that you check mark one of the chapters if there is a chapter in that state there may not be the chapter in that state um and you should definitely join us because we are uh, making major moves in terms of legislation. That's really the biggest thing that the Hemp Industry Association is focused on is legislation, uh, both in the United States and around the world. As I mentioned in the last podcast, uh, the HIA is the oldest and the largest uh, hemp business association um, in the world. So uh, it's a great organization to be a part of. Um, anyway, so if you want to reach out to me, I have multiple places you can reach out to me. My my main uh, Instagram page is at at Revel Aiden, R-E-V-E-L-A-I-D-A-N. Or you can find me at my company, which is what, W-H-A-T, canna, C-A-N-N-A, do, D-O, what can I do? Um, or what can what can cannabis do for you is our tagline. Um, and uh, that has a website that also has an Instagram channel, uh, Facebook page, um, and yeah, uh, and then also if you want to contact me, the, uh, the website has a contact form, uh, what can Um, and you can find me there and yeah, I definitely, I look forward to hearing from anybody. And if anybody wants to talk to me and learn about the hemp industry, I do some consulting as well. Um, and so we can definitely, uh, schedule something there. So I look forward to it. This kid, how old are you again? Uh, 23, uh, going to be 24 in two months. Awesome. Baba, what do you think? You guys answered your own question about why the point three percent. Believe did. it or not, nope. within the whole ahead, content yep. of your Please. conversation, how you, we do that? you answered your question as to how they're testing it, and and, and um, that's that's the beginning baseline point three percent. After one percent, they considered it a, a psychoactive uh, drug. So within that variance, yeah. you have that. Uh, that parameter. So they're breaking it down to the bottom level of 0.3%, but you still have a little wiggle room. Yeah. So you, within this conversation, yeah. if you listen to this conversation, you have answered your own question. Okie dokie. I'll have to re listen to Do you know it. what the uh, origin date uh, or time was for, for it? I was curious. It, it dated, there's there. dates from, from like 1960. So okay. whether or not it, it has a specific date, I don't know. No, it's but, okay. That's yeah. a good, that's a good measure. I, I just think it originated sure. in Europe or something along those lines. I'm pretty sure that's, I, I'm not, I'm not, don't quote me on that. But You're yeah, good. no, that's, we'll, that's great. We'll try and pull more information yeah. up for our next episode. I'm hoping to have someone from Hemp Labs on here next. Uh, and he will almost wrap up our, our winter season. So I'm hoping to have Zach Sarkis in here next. 
I've already spoken to him. He's he's uh, running Hemp Labs, a nonprofit here in Rochester, Absolutely. and uh, he's Great also guy. a longtime skier. Yeah, he's a good kid. Um, so I can't wait to have him on. He's definitely going to be our next guest. He's already agreed to it, so it's just a matter of how we schedule it. Uh, so we will talk more about this. Congratulations on the chapter presidency. Absolutely. I know you are still doing well. Uh, we will have you on the podcast again because I just want to hear how yeah. the role is going. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I get to touch on it. You're, you're, such, so much. you're such a great host, so I, I very much enjoy being on here. It's, it's pretty easy to flow. Um, yeah, no, I definitely look forward to it. I, so. I appreciate that compliment. Yeah. That was very nice of you. Yeah. And uh, Bob, thank you for being here. Yeah. You took the last couple yeah. episodes off, so it's nice to have you back. Oh, thanks. All right, and uh, thank you for sharing your travels with us. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> <sighs> Me too. More to come. I love it. <laughs> All right, until next time, everybody, let's remember, get out, exercise, get off your couches. Just because it's winter doesn't mean you can't cross-country ski, you can't downhill ski, or you can't just walk through a park with six inches of snow with your dog and enjoy mm-hmm. it. Because that's, that's what calls Snow resistance shooting. work. Yeah, resistance. It just makes it so your workout is that much quicker, more energy expended, so you can then go home, medicate yourself properly, whatever of the cannabinoids works for you, whether it's CBG, CBD, or THC, make sure you find some cannabinoids for that endocannabinoid system of yours. Good night, everybody. Good night.